The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Swing and a looper in the left center field. This is going to get down for a base hit. Here comes Phillips. He will score the tying run. In the third goes Rosarena. It's an 8-8 to game, and the Rays have the winning run 90 feet away. Coming up, we'll recap the action from this past week, take a look around Major League Baseball, and sit down for in-depth interviews with the biggest names in the game. First pitch to him, line back up the middle, but there is Franco to the left of the bag. He turns and throws him out, and the Rays have won it in Atlanta. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Hi, everybody. Welcome to our latest show. Today, Shane McClanahan will discuss going to the All-Star Game, and we'll chat with his pitching coach, Kyle Snyder. Brian Anderson will join us to discuss the wild card race. We'll visit with Peter Bendix about play to this point and what the future may hold. Plus, we'll preview tonight's Major League Baseball draft with the Rays' Rob Metzler and Jonathan Mayo of MLB.com and MLB Network. We continue on this week in Rays baseball, and joining us right now is a guy who has been arguably the MVP of this Rays team this year and is certainly deserving for his first All-Star game, and that's Shane McClanahan. Shane, thanks so much for your time. Neil, thank you for having me. Tell me, have you had a chance just to reflect since your last start as to how good this your pitching has been from the start of the year to the break? I think, to be honest, I'm most proud of how well this team is responding to all the adversity we face this year, you know, myself included. You know, it's you don't always feel 100% each start. You don't even feel close to 95% each start. And so, you know, it's uh, – it's a battle and, you know, I'm really proud of how far this team has come. And, you know, we got a lot of great baseball left to be played. Certainly looking forward to that. And obviously, you know, you're getting rewarded for the way the team has played and certainly the way you have pitched. Who does it mean more to in your mind, this all-star appearance, you, your mom, or your dad? I think the two of them and then me, you know, I, I, as, as honored as I am there, I don't think I've seen two happier people. You know, they've, they believe me ever since I can remember I was a little kid playing baseball and, you know, they saw things in me that I didn't see. And, you know, they've always had this dream and support. And, uh, you know, I'm very lucky to be a part of the ride with them. I know your your relationship with both is is obviously tremendous. I mean, you've talked about, about the way your dad has pushed you. What is he most geeked out about regarding the All-Star game? I think he's pretty excited for the home run derby, to be honest with you. He was never a pitcher. He was a catcher. And so he, he's always a fan of the long ball. And for you, what's 10-year-old Shane and what's current Shane geeked out about regarding this whole experience? I think just getting to, uh, you know, just experience the uh, just the vast knowledge of baseball. You know, to be honest with you, it's, it's super exciting that, you know, I'll forever be an all-star. You also get to see some people that you wouldn't get to normally. You've talked about Clayton Kershaw. Yeah. What are you most excited about in getting the chat? with him and who else do you have kind of on a short list of guys you definitely want to approach? Oh, you know, there's a lot of great guys there. You know, I I think I'm going to be talking or trying to talk to every single person there, you know, just pick their brain and just see what makes them unique and just what works for them. And, you know, because that's what I think this game is about. It's all about learning and, you know, trying to become a better, more complete player. And you do that by the guys around you. I think that's probably a big part of what's made your year so special, Shane. I think it seems to me and, and, Tell me if I'm wrong, that you really have made a concerted effort to get better from day to day, from start to start, from inning to inning, even from at bat to at bat this year. Yeah, I think um, I, I think that's a you know a great way to put it. You know, for me, it's like just trying to be consistent, trying to be the same person day in and day out, prepare my butt off for each start. And, you know, I, I've had the attitude of whatever happens, happens. You know, if I control whatever I can control and do that to the best of my ability, I can live with that. And, you know, the results are just happening because of the hard work, I believe. 
and obviously a lot of it. What advice has Corey Kluber given you about this whole experience? And, and maybe more so, what advice do you think is going to be most helpful to you out there? Oh, yeah, just enjoy it, you know, just just soak it up. But, you know, have a switch, you know, enjoy the baseball. And then if you pitch, flip it on, you know, for 20 minutes. And other than that, just relax and enjoy it. And, you know, I mean, it is this is our break. And so, you know, what, what better way to do it with more baseball? I know it would be great for you to be able to go with multiple teammates. Um, yes. How deserving do you think? Because I want to touch on that, too. Jason Adams specifically, because it yeah. seems like he's put up the best numbers of any guy from the race who's not going. Yeah, you know, I, I, I think everybody in this clubhouse and a lot of people in the baseball community would agree with what we all think, you know, that J.A. should be an all-star. The guy's numbers are incredible. He's a great person, great teammate. You know, he's, he's had the numbers all year. And another guy like Harold, Harold's batting like 330. Yandy's batting like 305. That's the second best, I think, on base percentage in the league. And defensive wizard. And, you know, those two guys, including J.A., come to the field each day with the readiness to play and willingness to compete. And just they're just great people. So, you know, I, I think those guys are just deserving as well, too. Will it mean something to have Mike Sandoval there with you? This is a guy who's been a lifer in the sport. It's his first all-star game. And I think you probably know how much he's had to do behind the scenes the last few years with COVID. Oh yeah. He was, he was the COVID police for a while. So it's, it's going to be nice for Mike to just, I, you know, kind of relax and unwind and enjoy this. Cause you know, he earned, he earned this, you know, he's one of the best to do it. He's been doing it a long time. And, you know, we're, we're all excited for Mike to be out there and experience this. I guess for you to do what you do, the training staff, you know, does a lot behind the scenes for you that the fan doesn't get to see, but I'm sure you appreciate what they've done for you. Oh yeah. I, you know, we all agree with this, you know, fans only see the tip of the iceberg. They don't, they don't see the the hours in the training room The you know, the, the weightlifting staff, you know, our strength staff, our trainers, the behind the scenes with, you know, our analytics people and all the other hard work that we do before the lights slip on and the stands get full. So, you know, it, we're all so thankful to have these these people with us in the organization and, you know, helping us trying to be the best player we can be. Shane, I know that Kyle Snyder, the race pitching coach, has meant a lot. And our fans will hear an interview with him in just a little bit about you. And he's, he feels that you've grown not only as a pitcher, but as a leader. What's your take on that? And where do you think you've grown as a leader with this group? Kyle's the best in the business. No, I, nobody can convince me otherwise. I'm, I'm so fortunate to be able to come to work every single day and just be able to chat with Snides, pick his brain, have him go back and forth with me and, you know, actually have meaningful conversations about what I can do and what we need to do. And so it's awesome. And, you know, for him to say that stuff is, it, you know, it means a lot, but I think it's just honestly my consistency, the way I, I come to the field every single day and try and be the same person, great teammate, help anybody I can with anything, if they need anything. And just being that supportive guy that, you know, I see a lot of with KK and, you know, Kluber is that, that leader that just leads by example and is so stoic and shows us what a, what a veteran's supposed to be. And, you know, it, it, we have a great group of guys here with a great mix of personalities and styles of play that, you know, we all just blend perfectly together. And Shane, obviously you still have a lot more to accomplish, but where do you think you have grown the most during this year? Because obviously the numbers, the only guy pre-All-Star break that compares recently is Pedro Martinez. And that's a pretty big pedestal to be on. Yeah, you know, uh, be lying to you if I wasn't honored, you know, to even be included in a conversation with Pedro Martinez. You know, that that guy is a legend. He's a Hall of Famer. He's one of the best to ever do it. And he was so special, so talented. And, you know, to even be mentioned in the same sentence as him, is it's, it's unbelievable to me. But, 
you know, I think the, the place where I, I'm most proud of is, is the mental, the mental game that I really have improved upon. You know, it's baseball, it's a, it's a physical game, but it, it's, it's so mental, you know, it's, it's stressful game. There's a lot of anxieties. And, you know, I, I think once, once a player takes that next step and be like, you know what, I've done everything I can physically. Now I got to take it mentally or uh, take the next step and, you know, work on my mental game. I think that's when a lot of players take the right step in the next direction to be the best player they can be. It's because it simplifies it. It brings you back down to earth and, you know, and everything's going to be okay. You know, baseball isn't, isn't this yeah, the root of our happiness. It's just, it's just what we do, you know, and so much more than a baseball players. So I think my mental, my mental ability has really, uh, has been the thing I've been the most proud of. And we talked at the beginning of the year about which you had really worked hard with Justin. What, yes. where have you taken that big step? Like what's, for a fan's perspective, what's the difference between Shane on day one of the season and now here right at the break? Being consistent. You know, Sua is a godsend for this clubhouse. He's been a godsend for me, and he's been unbelievable and instrumental in a lot of our team's success. And, you know, this game's a game of failure. Sua helps us understand that, you know, what it happens. It's, it's going to be all right. You know, baseball is such a short, short glimpse of our life. And, you know, there's so much more to life other than baseball, and that really just helps you remind yourself it's going to be okay. It's not the end of the world. You gave up a home run or anything like that. It's it's at the end of the day, it's going to be all right. You know, taking that next step mentally with Sue has been the game changer for me. Well, you've taken a lot of great steps this year, Shane. Uh, I think the whole organization is proud and excited for you. Looks forward to you pitching in Los Angeles. And then obviously many big outings uh, ahead the rest of this season and many years beyond that. Thanks for a few minutes. Neil, thank you so much. And that's Shane McClanahan. I asked his pitching coach, Kyle Snyder, how proud he is of the star lefty. Extremely proud. Uh, you know, it's been it's been a treat for, I think, all of us to watch, you know, the first half season that Shane's put together. Um, the amount he's grown as a person, as a pitcher, you know, from last year, motivated somewhat probably by how last year ended. But, you know, to see what he's done, the body at work up until All-Star break, being nominated to the All-Star team with the possibility of starting the All-Star game, it's just a testament to, you know, how much he's grown, how hard he's worked, you know, and, you know, just the four-pitch mix that, that he brings to the table that's as arguably as good as any four-pitch mix out there. Where has he grown the most this year, in your mind? Emotionally and just taking a leadership role uh, different than what I had noticed last year. Uh, I think he realizes the importance that he brings to this team um, every five days. His main goal each of those five days uh, is to give the team the best opportunity to win. He is, you know, he's a leader in that aspect. He's a leader in the, in the dugout. He's a leader in the clubhouse amongst these pitchers. And all of us just enjoy watching him take the ball every five or six days. How rare is that for a 25-year-old kid? Extremely rare in my experience uh, as a coach, as a educator, just to see his evolution and how quickly all this is as manifested is, is is pretty remarkable you know I got a chance to meet Shane McClanahan when he was drafted head coach for uh, South Florida came in with Shane after you know as as he was getting his you know uh, tour of Tropicana Field and and signing the paperwork and to see who Shane is now his ability to just articulate things and just growth in all areas. I mean, he, he, he really is matured uh, exponentially, even over the last year or two, and certainly over the last four or five years. One thing that's impressed me is his ability to self-evaluate. How good a self-evaluator is he, and how rare is that for pitchers in general? 
Self-evaluation is a really big key to uh, the success of a major league player and his realization of the things that he did well and the things that he needs to improve upon is probably as good as any pitcher that I've been around. And now, having said that, he's had a lot of success. For a guy that's never thrown a pitch at the AAA level before, got his feet wet in the, in the postseason in 2020, you know, he was a two-seam curveball pitcher at that point, and now he's a four-seam curveball slider changeup pitcher and throws all of them about equally. You know, I, he knows what he needs to work on next. I feel like he can see things happen before they happen sometimes and he just goes out there and, and, and really trusts the fact that you know he's as talented as any pitcher there is in the game and he's going to make guys earn their way on base. Is he the best talent that you've coached or at least the most polished at this point of his career this early in his career? He's easily the most polished pitcher in the shortest period of time that I think any of us and on the staff have, have witnessed. Like, I, I think we, t- we talk about it collectively, like just, you know, what, what he's become and how short a period of time that he's become this is truly remarkable. I mean, he, you could argue that his four pitches are, you know, as good as any four pitches there are, and he happens to possess all four of them. It's, it's unbelievable. And, and, but his, his ability to command those pitches, his ability to use them when he does happen to fall behind at times, you know, but just the trust and confidence that he has, you know, to, to hey, you got to hit your way on base till you get the two strikes, and then I'm going to make you swing at a ball. I mean, that's more or less his, his focus each time out. You said that he can see things ahead and wants and wants to improve. I think that's it. So where can, what is his next frontier? Like, he's so good now. Well, you know, I think a lot of what drives players at this level and at an elite level like Shane is, is the, the, the constant focus to improve. What that can be, you know, at this point, to me, is really refining uh, the delivery. If we can take eight to ten stressful throws off a 100-pitch outing by figuring out ways to best, you know, put the body maximize the output of the body then you know maybe that's the next step if it's uh you know a power knuckleball i'm not sure he 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 would be willing to explore and more than likely will bring certain things to me over the course of the next six to 12 months and 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 what it is that he can do to expand his repertoire and potentially his productivity and that's race pitching coach kyle snyder coming up brian anderson of valley sports sun you're listening to the race baseball network we continue on this week in Rays baseball. Neil Solon's now joined by our TV All Star Brian Anderson of Bally Sports Sun. BA, thanks for hanging out with us. I listen, Neil. Of course, and and I'll tell you something else. I love the rock intro. Come on, that music to set up this segment, perfect. There, perfect. there we go. There we go. BA, I'm I'm kind of curious your take as we get started here with Shane McClanahan about to go on the All Star break. How good has he been in your mind? It's really simple for me. You know, I, I came down to try to come back and play again in 2008. I ended up getting hurt and then, all, you know, end up on the, the, the coaching staff and transitioning into the, you know, the broadcast booth. So I've been here a long time and I've been here during the Ray era and I've seen an unbelievable number of really polished elite pitchers in my time here you think back you know James Shields and and David Price and a little bit before me but Scott Casimir all of these different raised pitchers uh, you know of all the time that I've been here and I will say this and and granted there's some longevity that that needs to to be you know manicured and, and there's other little milestones that have to be reached but 
Shane McClanahan is the best I've seen. The best I've seen in my time here, which goes back to 08, and all of those pitchers and all of those pitching staffs, he is the best. And there's a, a lot of different reasons why. You know, if you talk about, let's not even talk about what he features out on the mound, but just his competitive nature, his uh, accountability. He's a great teammate. You know, he, he looks to what can I improve? You know, how can I get better? Always taking accountability. And when he does go out and throw a great game, he talks about his teammates first. It, he is the quintessential ace on a staff and on top of that then when you get out on the mound he's got four plus to elite pitches all of them there's not a throwaway pitch in his bunch he can put you away with the fastball the curveball the changeup or the slider any one of them in fact he had a start not long ago where he had 10 strikeouts five it was against the blue jays five were on changeups two on fastballs two on curveballs, and the last guy he punched out was Santiago Espinal on a full-count slider, just to get that in the mix. That's how good he is. He can put you away with all four. Uh, and then on top of that, I think what might be even more impressive is his efficiency. You know, this is a 14-and-a-half, 14.7-pitch-an-inning guy, all the while leading Major League Baseball after his start in strikeouts. So this is a strikeout guy. Like, I was a 14-and-a-half pitch-an-inning guy. Okay, pitch to contact, move it around, try to keep the uh, you know the guys behind me busy, have quick innings, and let's get out of there. I didn't strike anybody out though. He's doing he's doing it. He's has that kind of efficiency, and he's punching out eight to ten a game. It's incredible what this kid has done, and so deserving to go to the All Star game. Number one, we'll see if it happens. But number two, he absolutely, if you just compare the numbers and not the names, the numbers, he starts that game, and it shouldn't be close. In fact, I would rarely say this about a starting pitcher, but to this point of the season, with all the Rays have had to deal with, he's the MVP of this group right now. Without a doubt. with There's no question. He's been that far above. I mean, just what he's been able to accomplish and what this team must feel when it's his day to start. And there's a couple of them. Corey Kluber, the same thing. You know, Corey Kluber, on his day, you're like, we're winning today. Period, end of discussion. We're winning the game. But but Shane McClanahan and what he's been able to go out, and it was so unfortunate in his last start that he finished with six strikeouts. And I'll tell you why. Up until then, you know, he had 11, 11 straight starts of six-plus innings of work, seven-plus strikeouts, and two earned runs or fewer. And by the way, 10 of the 11 was one earned run or fewer, one or zero. That was a single-season American League record. And he was closing in on Mike Scott in the National League with the Astros, who had done it 12 games in a row, but he needed to get to the seven strikeouts, and he, and he got six. I, I, I was so, you know, you, you wanted him to get that seven strikeout so he could continue that streak because Mike Scott was next at 12, and I think Randy Johnson's the all-time, and I played with him that year in 99. He did it 14 games in a row, but think about that. 11 straight, and it was stopped. It, it was stopped during a, an outstanding outing, and that's an American League record. It's, it's incredible. He has been incredible, obviously, and the numbers bear that out. As we start to turn toward the trading deadline, biggest concern, most pleasant surprise for this group, and why? Oh, wow. Um, I, you know, the f- most pleasant surprise, the, one, one, the first name that pops into my head is Isak Paredes. You know, leading this team with 13 home runs out of nowhere. You know, he was going to, guy. how is he going to fit in? How are the Rays going to use him? Rash of injuries. Hey, we got to play him. Oh, my goodness. This guy just jumps to the, to the head of the class in the home runs. So that, for me, is the first name that pops into my head. Another name that pops into my head, 
and I don't think it was a surprise because I think the Rays saw this potential, and that's why they brought him in, Harold Ramirez. That kid, I'll tell you, he he's fun to watch hit because his his approach at the plate is so simple. I'm going to be uber aggressive. How many times have you seen a right-handed pitcher throw him a first-pitch slider and he swings like he's going to drill himself right in the ground? I mean, he cuts it loose like no other, but guess what? The same pitcher gets him to two strikes, and now he's fouling off tough pitches. He, a slider down and away, and he lines it to right field for a base hit. So he's aggressive early, and then he battles late. I love that approach. Look what it's done. I mean, hits all over the field too. So he he's put together, um, uh, you know, a, a, an awesome you know first half. And so those two names pop into my head first. The biggest concern for me: clean up the fundamentals. This team has been far too sloppy, and I think that we can all agree on that. Whether it be base running or in the field, even in the field, and it doesn't always boil down to errors. Sometimes it's the plays that you don't make. It's the throws that go to the wrong base, the cutoff man that doesn't get hit. Just little things. They, they, they need to tighten up their game. They've been doing a better job of it, I will say, as of late. But the more and you know, and it's a fine line on the base paths. When you talk, they lead Major League Baseball by by the way a wide margin in outs on the base paths. And so you don't want to take away the aggressiveness of the team on the base paths. But there's a fine line between aggressive and reckless and too often there's a little bit of of reckless and and not a lot of a feel and so tighten that up continue to tighten yourself up defensively you're going to get some bodies back pitching staff has been outstanding even the bullpen that you've had to remake three or four times or maybe more in this first half has held up and as that continues to to you know to strengthen Pete Fairbanks coming off the IL that's going to be a huge addition that's it. I mean, tighten up your game, and you'll you'll be just fine. You will see this team take off if it hasn't already. Ba, great stuff. We appreciate. That's the time. it. Yes, I rambled, didn't I? You didn't. Two, I, I'm a two question guy, and then I just go. You, I'm sorry. You enjoyed you. You enjoy your break. How about <laughs> I will that? do that. Brian Anderson of Valley Sports Sun joining us now. Rays general manager Peter Bendix. Peter, give me your take on the group today. I think it's a a really talented, really young group that has high upside and probably needs to find a little bit more consistency in their day-to-day, but I think it's a group that coming into the season we felt really strongly about that could be a really special group, and I think we still feel that way. What has been a surprise for you on the positive end? I would think Shane McClanahan tops the list, or if you see any of what he's done as a surprise. Absolutely. I mean, Shane is having an incredible season making his first All-Star game, and I think his path to this point has been really impressive. From a high draft pick who was raw and needed a lot of refinement, and he's made that refinement year over year. And we're even seeing, obviously, last year to this year, the pitch mix, the command, the demeanor on the mound, everything has improved tremendously, and we're seeing the results of that. What have been maybe the biggest disappointments, uh, either as a group uh, or on an individual basis? I don't think I'd call it a disappointment, but it's easy to forget that our, we have a lot of young players. We're always going to have a lot of young players, and it is not easy to be in the big leagues. And I think what we've experienced so far this year is several young players having struggles adjusting to the big leagues all at once, and I think that's a, a tough thing for any team to weather. We haven't, we've talked about it a fair amount on the air. I'm curious your take on it. How much did 2020 and the lack of a minor league season now showing its effects here in 2022 in your mind. 
I think it, it was really harmful for all of the players that didn't have any kind of organized baseball during that season, which was the entire minor leagues. And we are always going to rely on young players. We are always going to rely on our farm system. And so I think to the extent that that mattered for these guys, it's going to impact us maybe more than an average team just because of the young players that we have. That said, um, you've also had to deal with more injuries than anybody has had to deal with in this league. How difficult has it been, and is there anything that you're learning from this, and how much of it may have been due to the lockout and the fact that you guys are usually very conscientious about keeping your hands on guys and you couldn't? I mean, injuries are a part of the game, and it's a cliche, but it really is true. And I think we're having our share of injuries this year. It happens to different teams every year, and we know that's going to be a thing coming into the season. We pride ourselves in the depth that we have throughout our entire system, in AAA especially, and I think we have that next man up mentality that we're really needing to put into play here. Guys are getting opportunities that they might not have had before, and they have to step up and take advantage of that. How challenging does that make what you have to do or do or don't do at the trading deadline? Because you're waiting on Wander Franco, you're waiting on uh, Manuel Margot and Mike Zanino, whether he, Kevin Kiermeyer can even come back at all this season. How challenging is that to kind of balance and figure out what you want to do going forward? I think it adds to the uncertainty of the situation. And I think the uncertainty isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it is certainly challenging. If you don't know when to expect a player back or what he's going to be when he returns, it's harder to kind of plan for potential trades, potential acquisitions without having a great sense of exactly what your team looks like. So that's kind of an ongoing process where we're always learning about the trade market. We're always learning about our own players. We're always learning about the status of our injured players. And I think our best acquisitions as we head into the trade deadline, are hopefully going to be getting injured players back. There, And we'll touch on that more. There are two areas that I wanted to hit on with the overall club uh, beyond the injuries, and one is the defense. You guys have been more, at least by some of the metrics, a more middle-of-the-pack club than an upper tier. Is that the way you guys look at it too? And how do you get back to being that? Because I think the surprising thing is the other four teams in the division are all playing somewhat elite defense at times. We pride ourselves on defense. I think each player that we have prides himself on defense. And at times this year, our defense has not been up to our high standards. I think that's something that is is kind of well-known across the club. And I know that our guys are capable of playing elite defense. They're capable of having tremendous range while also making the routine plays. And we've seen that at times. We've seen that at times this year. We've seen it in the past. And we just need to gain that consistency. We need to make sure that offense doesn't bleed into defense, that you don't try too hard, you let the game come to you. All of these cliches really are true, and we are capable of playing elite-level defense. Has that also translated maybe letting things bleed through into base running? Because as a group, you guys were the best base running team in the league last year. Right now, you're at the top by a pretty good margin in terms of outs on the bases. I don't know whether that translates into a just a bad base running team because you have done some things that are, are good in the base running area. I think we're an aggressive base running club, and I think that's kind of in our DNA, and that's always going to be the case. And that's going to lead to some outs on the bases that you have to sacrifice to get some of those extra bases. I also think it's quite possible that some of our offensive struggles this year have caused decision-making on the bases that might be a little too aggressive. And I think we've seen that show up at times. So I think it's a, a reminder that we need to just stay within ourselves when we're running the bases, let the game come to us, and we're still going to be aggressive and try to take the extra base when we can. You made one addition this week with the arrival of, of Christian Bethancourt. Is that the type of thing that you may need to do, feel that you're more likely to do as we move closer to the trading deadline to help 
with some of the areas that you know you're lacking in terms of in- guys who are injured. Yeah, I think it's always the type of thing that we're looking to do. If we can find players on any parts of our roster that we have as potential upgrades or as players who are do something particularly well, especially if they have you know control beyond this year, somebody who can be a part of this year's club and into the future, we're always going to be on the lookout for that. And this time of year with the trade deadline coming up, I think more teams are just open to having those conversations. Speaking of this time of year, you've got a balance, and we'll talk with Rob Metzler later on in the program, the draft and the trading deadline. How much does that change what, let's say, it was like before the pandemic? when the draft was in June? It makes it a lot more difficult to make trades before the draft. I think a lot of teams, us included, dedicate so much manpower and time to the draft that it's hard to be able to then focus on the trade deadline at the same time. And so I think with a lot of teams, you're seeing more of a willingness to engage in trades once you're through the draft. And now the draft is so much later, there just isn't as much time between the draft and the deadline. So I'm not surprised to see relatively few trades before the draft. I would expect that things would pick up after the draft. But that said, teams are always having these conversations. They're a year-round thing. You also have an extra playoff team in each league. How much does that change things for the Rays because of the better chance of getting in the playoffs, but also there are fewer teams that are willing to drop out of, of the talks of moving guys. It'll be fascinating to see how or whether the trade market is different this year because of the reasons that you said. I think for us, our approach is is always going to be very similar, which is we're going to try to make this year's team as good as we can and also keep an eye on the future at the same time. We think the best way to win a World Series is to have as many bites at the apple, as many playoff opportunities, as many really good competitive teams over a 10-year window as possible. And so we're always going to be doing everything we can to maximize that while also building a strong team this year as we possibly can. And as you do that, you take a look at the division picture. You've won the division the last two years. And not to count it out, but look, the margin is pretty wide between yourselves and New York. And the same goes for Boston, Toronto, and Baltimore at this point in time. You're closer to one another than the Yankees. So how does that change what you may or may not do come the end of this month? I don't know whether it changes it too much. Obviously, the Yankees are having a season for the ages, and you know. but once you're in the playoffs, a lot of things can happen. And I think with the pitching that we have, especially our top-end pitching, having Shane McClanahan at the top of the rotation, in a short series, I would put us up against anybody. So I think we need to make sure we, we get into the playoffs. Obviously, we'd rather have that first round by than not, but I would put our pitching in a short three or five or even seven-game series up there against anyone, and if you have good pitching, it gives you a chance. Obviously, that's a health and you've got I would assume what happens the next few weeks is going to help determine that absolutely and like I said before I think perhaps the most important deadline acquisitions for us are going to be able to get multiples of our currently injured players back and when if we're able to do that and even if it's only a handful of them back I think this team that we had at the beginning of the year with full health is a really strong team And that is Rays General Manager Peter Bendix. Coming up, we'll take a look at the upcoming Major League Baseball draft with the Rays' Rob Metzler and MLB.com and MLB Network's Jonathan Mayo. You're listening to This Week in Rays Baseball on the Rays Baseball Network. Well, as we are on the eve of the Major League Baseball draft, we're joined now by Rob Metzler. And Rob, give us a feel, first of all, from a race perspective. How do you see the strength of this year's draft? Where is it strongest this year? 
I think it's a balanced group. I, I, I think it is a good group of college position players. Or certainly, you know, we, we liked last year's group, you know group across the board. But certainly, I, I think it's a deeper group of college position players than we might have saw in, in last year's draft. I don't know how that'll impact our, you know, the, the players that we bring in, you know, totally. But but I, I think it is slightly deeper deeper in that area, and it's it's fairly consistent in other in other areas of the draft. I think you're now getting accustomed to drafting in July versus June. What's the biggest challenge and maybe biggest advantage in terms of the different types of drafts? The biggest advantage is that I'm more rested than I would be if, if we drafted immediately after the conference tournaments, which which used to happen when we'd go in, in early June. So you know, it gives us a little bit more time to, to process, a little bit more time to make sure that you know every vantage point and every opinion is accounted for within our process. Um, it's nice to, you know, there's a handful of players that we've been able to scout further in Cape Cod League or in the MLB Draft League. That's great. And in, in the combine, I think, you know, the combine we did in three weeks ago in San Diego, I think it was a great opportunity for we, we met with a lot of players there we, we we got some 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 performance data we got to see some on the field and that that was also a benefit so just a little bit more time is is the advantage and and um the disadvantage is i have to wait to go see our affiliates and last year's group you know and spend a little bit more time with them so you know i'm looking forward to you know once we get into august being able to go visit visit with those guys and the reason i ask that usually summer is also a big showcase period so do you almost have to balance two classes at once while preparing for a draft Personally, I don't, <laughs> but our staff, our staff has been out and scouted a lot of the 2023s in, in different events. Um, it's, we, we have an unbelievable group of scouting staff, and they've been out, you know, in Cary at the PDP and the Team US Collegiate National Team, you know, to see that group. They've, uh, you know, so yeah, the 2023, whether it be area code tryouts, East Coast Pro tryouts, our, our group's been out and studying the 2023s and also kind of keeping tabs on what the 22s are doing at the same time. You mentioned the Combine and the Draft League. How helpful do you think they are for your group? I think they're beneficial. It's it's more information whether whether it's popping in the draft league to you know maybe say a cherry on top of our evaluation on a player to get another cross check look or another opinion is helpful. And in the combine, it's been my favorite part of the combine is just a chance to meet face to face with many more players than we'd get to you know in, in other setting. We might do more phone calls, we might more do more zooms, but in the combine we're able to you know to sit down with kids in, in a half hour or forty five minutes and and get to know them even you know and a lot of them are going to end up on other teams and that's the way the draft goes but it, it, it's been fun to, to get to after seeing a lot of this talent pool compete on the field for so long to be able to you know to to talk with them for a little bit it, it, was, it was really fun most of the teams will work out individual players separately do you get to do much of that here at Tropicana Field with the July setup versus June does it work does it allow for more workouts the same workouts similar to what you do each year so the workouts, you know, given the combine growing, um, the workouts have to be complete before the combine. So because of the medical component of the combine, you know, and keeping kind of the sanctity of that medical portion, you know, the players, if they want to do individual workouts, it happens prior. And, and there were, you know, a small group of players we were able to, to work out whether they were at the, um, we just thought it was beneficial with an evaluation to do a workout. Um, so, so that's that's good. But also, you know, there's a handful of those players that maybe we would have liked to see an extra batting practice. Would have liked to see an extra bullpen, and, and a few of those were at the combine and did those there at the combine for all 30 teams. So that was that was beneficial. You um, pick at 29, but then you also have picks at 65, 70, 71 with the extra compensatory picks. How creative can you be with your draft this year versus, let's say, when you're picking 30 choices apart, which would be more normal? It just depends. I mean, we we can certainly be creative, but there's there's a scenario where where Sunday night could play out where things go, you know, 
fairly stock and you know just you know where where creativity isn't needed and it's fairly standard picking off top of our board each time and it kind of lines up financially where you know it goes fairly routinely and then there's other scenarios where we might be able to pursue opportunities that we wouldn't have otherwise if, if we didn't have those picks to to put together because the extra picks do give you guys more of a bonus pool and if guys fall let's say to you that maybe we're slotted higher there or either at 29 or even in that 65 to 71 range you have the opportunity to adjust absolutely so we do have you know it opens up an opportunity that if we didn't have those picks we just it would be really hard to you know to you know if there is somebody you know where we need to put some bonus pool together to to pursue that player you know create a real sacrifice later on in the draft where, where maybe maybe in this case it wouldn't quite as much. I, I chatted with Peter Bendix earlier on the program just about, you know, here we are at the All-Star break on the Major League side, but you're also on their side dealing with the potential trading deadline in the same month as the draft. Does that give you a little more autonomy? Do you guys, how has that changed, if at all? It hasn't been a significant. I mean, maybe slightly more. You know, split attention of the front office, where where people have to have to branch off a little bit more, and and you know whether whether somebody's really intensely working on the trade deadline and, and, and the pro player market, or somebody's working more on the amateur player market. It's it's harder to cross over maybe than it was previously, but it's not something that's drastically different on, you know on a day-to-day basis. We you know we've been set up historically where where people have been you know we're you know. If, if I might not have quite as much time to check in on what's going on on the, on the trade market and just listen to what Kevin and Peter and, and Eric are up to over there, amongst many others, you know. But but I'll get caught up after. And kind of similarly, I think with, with people who are more focused on the trade market, they they generally you know have a sense of what we're up to and, and know you know known of you know kind of studied to a small extent the the, um, the players that we might be looking at and and. Uh, might you know but might have to check in after to you know get some of the day-to-day of how conversations might be going and you also mentioned that you know with this year's with this year's draft uh, you haven't got to see last year's guys really in person and that class is off to a good start has there been much that you really changed with your process from last year the first later draft to this one I think been more efficient in just you know figuring out which of the summer leagues might where where it might be better to spend time for our staff and and um, but I, I couldn't say any you know more tweaks than than massive changes to our process with the later draft. Hopefully things go smoothly, Rob. I'm sure we'll be talking to you after. Thanks for a few minutes. Thanks, Neil. Appreciate it. And that is Rob Metzler, who heads up the Rays' efforts with the Major League Baseball draft, which begins tonight. Again, the Rays pick at 29, 65, 70, and 71 to start. And joining us from some national perspective is one Jonathan Mayo of MLB.com and MLB Network. Jonathan, thanks so much for being on the program. Always, Neil. Tell me, from your standpoint, what makes this draft strong, or where is it the strongest? Uh, definitely strongest at the top and in terms of bats, particularly uh, in the high school realm. At the very, very top you know, is is all high school bats. There's a chance we won't see a pitcher taken in the top 10, a good chance, uh, in fact. Not a guarantee, obviously, but, you know, so it's very, very hitter heavy. And then, you know, I'll, I'll, the, the the pitching crop, you know, high school pitching always falls down. You and I feel we talk about touch on that every year, but because of the risk and the college pitching wasn't really deep to begin with. And then there've been so many injuries and question marks that that's put even more of a cloud over that group. So hitting is, is, is the sort of talk of this draft class for sure. And is it 
Drew Jones, who you still think would be the top pick? Because obviously with Baltimore picking at the top and being in the division, it's certainly of interest, I think, to race fans to a degree. I think that Drew Jones is the best player in the draft class. It is unclear whether or not he will be the number one pick in the draft. Mike Elias and the Orioles keep things very, very close to the best and uh, and will not decide really until probably Sunday, a couple of hours before they have to pick. It's kind of how they how they do things. Uh, that's even how they did things with Adley Rutschman. And that's when they took the the best guy. Uh, and a lot of people think that the, the Orioles are going to look to cut a deal because the last couple of years they've done that. I'm not sure they're going to do that. I, I As we are recording this, you know, I have another mock draft and Drew Jones will be in that top spot. Okay. Uh, curious, obviously, to see how that plays out. And I think probably one of the more interesting players who, because he didn't sign last year, is Kumar Rocker in this year's draft. Where do you think he ends up? How high does he get taken? And how big a risk is he right now? Man, I wish I knew. He's the biggest wild card. You know, ever since he started pitching again, I know both Jim Callis and I, the last couple of weeks, have put him somewhere in, in, in our mock drafts. I'm working through it. I, I'm not sure where to put him. So, he, you know, What's happening is he, he he came out, he's pitched well, he's shown that the stuff is still the stuff that people saw in Vanderbilt, but in you know very small sample sizes and indie ball in a controlled setting. And you know, he hasn't shared that much medical information. Some of it is out there. His camp did announce that he had what they called a minor shoulder scope, which is going to set off a lot of bells. So teams are going to have to feel some comfort level, and I and we don't know what they've been able to see in terms of those medical reports. Some things have been shared. My understanding is not a ton has been shared, and that makes it tough to pick him, and it makes it tough to to place him. Pure stuff wise, if he's healthy, he's a top ten pick again, right? This is a guy you know who could have been a number one overall pick. Yeah, there were some things that made him not the number one pick are still true, even if he's healthy. But especially given the the lack of arms that we we touched on earlier. He could go anywhere. I think in the twenties, he could go in the comp round. If you told me that he didn't go until the second round, it wouldn't shock me. So it, it, there's a, a huge risk there because of the questions about his, his health. And and I guess you mentioned this is a draft with a lot of pitchers with questions about their health on the collegiate side. Rocker is pitching, but there's a group there you really don't know where some of those guys are going to go and and if they're going to go. Yeah, I mean Connor Prelip uh, just you know came back. He threw a bullpen. He he threw it at the draft combine. That's kind of been about it. Uh, Carson Wisenhunt missed the year because he was suspended. And he pitched in in the Cape. Uh, Peyton uh, Paulette is another guy who's hurt. Reggie Crawford, big lefty with huge stuff, but it's only thrown eleven innings in his career. He had Tommy John surgery, and even on the on the high school side, uh, Dylan Lesko, who was the best pitcher in the class, and probably would have been a, I don't say a slam dunk top 10, because again, high school right-hander, but uh, he was a high school right-hander with plus stuff who looked like a college pitcher in terms of his his feel for pitching. He had Tommy John surgery. Now, teams are not afraid of that anymore if it's just Tommy John surgery and they feel that everything else looks okay. So some of those guys are going to go just fine. You know, I think Connor Prelip goes in the first round. Dylan Lesko goes anywhere in the you know middle of the first round on down. Uh, so those guys will get drafted, but there's, you know, even though people feel teams feel comfortable taking these guys that there's no real guarantee. And on the high school side, there's not a whole lot of history of, well, this is what this looks like. Lucas Giolito is one of the few examples of a guy who everyone knew was hurt 
his draft year. He had Tommy John right after the draft as a high schooler. And, you know, he's turned into a, you know, a starting pitcher in the big leagues, but there aren't too many examples of it. No, there aren't. You know, the Rays pick at 29 this year, obviously coming off 100 win season. And then they have three picks at 65, 70, and 71. What's your feel as to what they may do or guys who may be available around 29? And then how much does what they can do change by the fact that they've got three picks clumped together in that top 75? I think the three picks help because typically when you're picking at the end of the first round and you don't have any other extra picks whatsoever, uh, your bonus pool is going to be small. This gives them a little bit more flexibility. Obviously, they're not, you know, the Orioles who, you know, pick at one and 33 and then have a second round pick. There are teams that have pretty substantial bonus pools. This gives them some flexibility if they want to be a little more aggressive. I think some of those high school arms uh, can come into play that we sort of touched on. They're very hard to place. There are some interesting high school lefties like a Robbie Snelling from Reno, Jackson Ferris, who's down at IMG Academy uh, in Florida, you know, are, are, are possibilities if they wanted to go that route. Uh, there might be some of the, the sort of second tier of high school bats that could come into play if they're if they're around. Um, you know, one thing that the Rays can do is they can decide which bucket they want to choose from based on how, how the draft unfolds. There's not a whole lot separating guys once you get to, you know, those guys kind of ranked in the in the 20s, 30s, you know, so it's going to depend on what their their scouting department likes the the most. But they they could decide to go, you know, with a, a sort of a riskier pick at 29, knowing that they could certainly pay whoever it is because of those extra picks when another team, like the Giants pick at 30, and they've been attached to a whole lot of sort of risky picks but they can't go too far above slot because they don't have a very large bonus pool. So if they're going to take someone that they're going to take a risk on, you know, it's going to have to be someone that they're maybe reaching for a little bit or they know will sign for whatever slot is because maybe that player knows that he's not going to go until the second round. Otherwise, maybe it's a guy who's hurt or something like that. While the Rays have a little bit more flexibility and can, and can you know, roll the dice a little bit if, if they want to. Any chance that Carl Crawford's kid is available? Where Where do you? I, I was curious about him because fans have asked about him. Uh, yeah, I would. It's funny. I'm looking over like a you know uh, Jim Cowles and I have done mocks every week for the last it feels like four years now, but it's been <laughs> ten weeks or so. One of my early ones had the race taking him. Um, we've had him in the top ten quite mm. a bit to the Royals at nine. If it's not there, it's somewhere in the mid you know, in the mid to late first round. He's a really good player. He really hits. So two Rays fans, I, you never say never because <laughs> I know better. I've been doing this too long. I would be highly doubtful you're going to see uh, Justin Crawford in a Rays uniform unless he's acquired via trade. Got it. And in terms of the, the draft itself, it has changed somewhat with the MLB version of the combine and a pre-draft league how much has that changed really you think that the boards and the evaluations of teams you know i don't think like performances at the combine have done too much neil because you're not gonna these guys have all been scouted so much uh whether it's the high school kids playing in those couple of games or bp or bullpen or anything like that now i think a lot of the sort of performance assessment stuff all that strength and speed stuff i think that helps you know a lot of these 
players have all done showcase things and you have some of those measurements, these are a little more targeted. I think that helps. Where I think the biggest benefit for, for both sides, I think this is really a win-win, is the ability to meet with teams, the, the interview process. Um, it's sort of like super speed dating. Uh, you know, all the teams love getting to know these players. Makeup is a, a big thing, especially when you're talking about these players that you're wanting to give seven figures to in, you know, in the first round. And, uh, you know, you can't normally have six members of the Rays organization or however many they sent to the combine. I don't know, all in a room with a guy and kind of put him on a hot seat and see how he handles questions. And I know for a fact that there are certain players this year and last year, but, you know, talking about this year's draft who really impressed teams and some who didn't. And, you know, especially if it's a higher risk category, like a high, like a high school pitcher, you know, if you don't decide not to take a guy just because he doesn't give great answers in an interview, but you may be more willing to take a risk if he does. And, you know, there were some players who I think could, help themselves or at least help convince teams who are interested, like, boy, like we kind of like this guy's tools. We have a much better feel that he's going to maximize his chances to reach his ceiling with those tools based on how he carries himself. Well said, Jonathan, we know you are quite busy. We appreciate some time uh, as the draft is to begin tonight and we'll be watching and listening. And thanks very much for a few minutes. Thanks, Neil. Thanks to all of our guests on the show today, including Jonathan Mayo, as well as Rays All-Star Shane McClanahan, pitching coach Kyle Snyder, Brian Anderson of Bally Sports Sun, GM Peter Bendix, and Rob Metzer heads up the Rays draft. If you ever have something you want to hear, just tweet me at Neil Solons. Next week, Corey Kluber, the Rays' top picks this year, and much more. For producer John Dugas, I'm Neil Solons. Stay tuned. The pregame show is next. Rays and Orioles on the Rays Baseball Network. Thank you for listening to This Week in Rays Baseball. Breaking ball lifted in the air, way up there, into right field and deep. Judge is going back towards the corner at the wall. Gone! And the Rays jump in front, four to one. If you missed any of the show, catch it on archive at RaysBaseball.com slash radio. With first and second, the one-two pitch. Swing and a miss! He struck him out! Keep it right here. The Rays pregame show is next.